Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you can join us. You're listening to the final part of the series, Total Truth. So wherever you are, whatever you're doing, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Jesus, we just thank you that we can come to this place and worship you, God. Lord, as we are here and as our hearts, as our hands are open, God, I just pray that you deposit something in our spirit today. Just do what only you can do. We praise your name. We love you, God. We pray in your mighty, holy, awesome name. Amen. Amen. Come on, can we give, let's give a mighty shout of praise to Jesus. Come on. If you guys don't mind standing for just a moment longer, we are in the fourth and final part of our series called Total Truth. Can you guys just make some noise? Anyone been here enjoying this at all? Come on, I'm excited to get into the word. So Jeremiah 38 is where we are. Uh, Jeremiah is a prophet and he's speaking to the nation on behalf of God. And so Jeremiah, verse 2 of chapter 38, it goes like this, says, This is what the Lord says. Whoever stays in the city will die by the sword, famine, or plague. But whoever goes to the Babylonians will live. They will escape with their lives and they will live. This is what the Lord says. This city will certainly be given into the hands of the army of the king of Babylon who will capture it. Then the officials said to the king, This man speaking about Jeremiah, should be put to death. He's discouraging the soldiers who are left in the city as well as all the people by the things he is saying to them. This man is not seeking the good of the people, but their ruin. Hey, he's in your hands, King Zedekiah answered. The king can do nothing to oppose you. So they took Jeremiah, put him into a cistern of Malachi, the king's son, which was in the courtyard of the guard, they lowered Jeremiah by ropes into the cistern. It had no water in it, only mud. And Jeremiah sank down into the mud. Now, this isn't the most encouraging passage of scripture. Probably why no one clapped as I finished it. But I wanna call this message today, the truth that hurts the truth that hurts. Come on, let's give it up for the Lord one more time. You guys can be seated. So glad everyone could be here today. Hey, as we get started, do you guys just mind looking at the person next to you and just saying, hey, welcome to church today. So glad you could be here. Come on, hope everyone's doing good. I want to begin today uh, just with I, what I think is a great dilemma that we all deal with in life. And I kind of want to know where every one of you guys that come to church today falls on the spectrum. Now, this dilemma is something that we've all experienced before and I think is probably one of the hardest decisions you will have to face as a human. And so I want to find out where you guys land when it comes to this dilemma. So here's the issue. And like, as I say this, I'm not talking about like your spouse or your best friend. I'm just talking about like in a conversation with someone. Have you guys ever been there when you're having a conversation with someone and they have food in their teeth? You guys ever been there? 
You guys haven't? Have you guys ever been there before? Anyone? So here's the question that I want us to know where everyone stands. Because I really believe that there are two options when you're speaking with someone and they have food in their teeth. Number one, you tell them. Number two, you don't tell them and you pretend like you didn't see anything. So we're going to see really how full of love our church is. Now, I'll lead the way so you're not afraid to raise your hand because I want some hands raised. I don't tell people. I'm just being honest. So, when it comes to food in the teeth, who here, let's go number one, who here always tells people? Okay. Okay, who here, maybe not as righteous, who doesn't tell? <laughs> Few people. We're like, I don't know what that was. That was almost 50-50, maybe like 60-40. All right, we're split. Now, the reason I'm talking about this is because I actually believe there is only one proper thing to do. There is only one right answer. You should tell the person every single time, right? Because like, you never know where they're going. Like They could go there a whole day with a piece of kale in their teeth, and you could have told them at 9 a.m., but... If, as I analyze myself, and as I probably can kind of get into your guys' brains, I would say the reason we don't tell people is because even though we know it's the right thing to do, it's a little bit painful. Would you guys agree? Like, I don't know why, but it's a really awkward conversation. Like, I know it's the right thing, but it kind of makes me feel weird inside. And so the reason I kind of just avoid the truth is because sometimes the truth just hurts. You guys know what I'm saying? We're today wrapping up a series uh, in church here called Total Truth, and uh, this is week number four, and I just, I really hope that this series has been enlightening to you, uh, enlightening, enlightening, anyways, it sounds weird as I say it out loud, uh, to you guys all, and I hope that you have kind of a bigger picture of what truth is, and I really want to encourage you, if you missed any message, uh, they're all online, go back and check them out, and, and maybe even if you've seen them, there's a lot of content each and every week much like there will be today. And so you can rewatch them because I think they're just useful for life. And so I kind of want to just quickly run through it to, to bring us to today. Uh, in week one, we talked about when crazy is the new normal. You guys remember that? And we kind of had this overarching idea, pretty simple, that when crazy is normal, then normal will always be viewed as crazy, right? When the world is crazy, that means that the normal people will always be viewed as crazy. That was week number one. And uh, week two and week three, we really did like a deep dive into this idea of worldviews. What we said is every single person has a way in which they view the world. Now, for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, one of the critiques that we kind of went through in, that, in those messages was for a lot of us, we would call ourselves followers of Jesus. Maybe we can explain something like communion or... God, Jesus, but a lot of us would have no idea how to take those beliefs and then bring it into the world. In other words, like, how does my Christianity, how does my discipleship of Jesus make any difference in the world? And one of the big ideas in those weeks that we talked about was that to follow Jesus isn't just partial truth, it's total truth. He gives us an all-encompassing picture of the world. And so if you miss those messages, man, go back and watch them and They'll be online for a long time, so you can check them out whenever. But today, 
kind of where I want to go, and, and really each week is kind of built on the last week. Uh, I hope that we made at least somewhat of a convincing argument that to follow Jesus is logical, that he is truth, that he gives us an all-encompassing picture of truth. Where I want to go today is like, we can be on board that Jesus is truth, okay? Like Harrison, like, yep, last week, like, I moved over, like, I believe he's truth. But there's still one issue, and it's this, and that which I already said, sometimes the truth hurts. So Jesus is total truth, but sometimes the truth hurts. And so I have a premise for today, and I think this is true inside the church, outside the church, sometimes with situations like food in teeth, but my overarching idea is simply this, we often reject the truth when it hurts and trade it for lies that make us feel good. Is everyone following? This is what I want to really unpack today. So if you're a note taker, write this down because I think this is part of the human dilemma. We often reject the truth when it hurts and trade it for lies that make us feel good. And as we go into the message today, one thing I want us to understand is that Jesus is truth. But sometimes, someone say sometimes. I said someone say, that means everyone say sometimes. Sometimes the truth hurts. But as I unpack the message today, I want us to understand something. The truth of God at times, it will hurt. It will pierce and it will penetrate our soul. But my overarching, even bigger idea is this. In the long run, God's heart is never to hurt us, but always to heal us. So that's where I want to go today. And we're going to look at uh, the story that I just read found in Jeremiah 38 to kind of unpack this truth. And so uh, I kind of just, a little context, I'll give more as we go along. But in the Old Testament, specifically where we pick up our story today in the book of Jeremiah, this was a time, as I said, where God would speak to the people through people that were called prophets. So Jeremiah, he was a prophet. And so he had one job, and maybe it sounds glamorous when you see how the story in his life is not always glamorous, but God would give him messages, and he would go and share the messages with the people. That is the job of a prophet. Does that make sense? God speaks, he delivers. Now listen, y'all, I'm teaching, preaching a lot today. We can respond. Come on, I need y'all to wake up. Like, we sang the song, Come On My Soul. Y'all got shy after we sang it. We're gonna respond? You guys following? So God speaks through the prophets, and uh, Jeremiah gets a message. And in this time, the nation, uh, God's people, they're called Israel. Israel is kind of in turmoil, most specifically in this point, the southern region of Judah. They're in conflict with another uh, place called Babylon. Judah, Israel, and Babylon are in conflict, constant threats of war, and so God shares a message through Jeremiah. You guys all following? There we go. This is what it says, verse two. The Lord says, whoever stays in this city, speaking to the people of Judah, the people of Israel, if you stay here, you will die by the sword, famine, or plague. But... Whoever goes over to the Babylonians will live. They will escape with their lives. They will live. Now, you need to understand the nuances because this is kind of an odd message. Because Israel and Babylon are in conflict. And the message that God gives, 
He literally says to them, hey, what I want you to do is I want you to surrender and not just surrender, I want you to go live in Babylon with your enemies. That's kind of a weird message, right? Now on the surface, that's what I want to get at. God is the one that is sending this message. And so God only knows one language and that is truth. When God speaks, every single time God speaks, it is the truth. And so God's truth in this moment, he says to the people, and I can't, I, we can't miss this. He's saying to them, literally, go to your enemies, surrender, live there. This is like the total opposite of what I would think that the people would believe would be what's best for them. Because for them, they're like, surrender go go live as exiles in a foreign land like what are you talking about but as i said god's truth even when it hurts is always for our good and so we can't miss this because god gives them the alternative the alternative he says he says whoever stays here will die you're going to die by the sword which is war by famine which is hunger or by plague it's a crazy message. Go. Doesn't seem like it's logical, but the alternative, he says, you stay here, you die. Let's keep reading. So some of the officials, these are the wise people that advised the king. They said to him, this man, Jeremiah, should be put to death. He's discouraging the soldiers who are left in the city as well as all the people by the things he is saying to them. This man is not seeking the good of the people, but their ruin. So I want us to break down this scene because we have the king, Zedekiah, and he gets a message from God. He says, leave, get out, surrender. Then the officials come. These are his wise, trusted people. And for them, they're essentially saying, what, to me, like, I don't actually think they're being like nefarious. I think they're just being logical, practical. They're saying, hey, king, I don't know what this guy is saying. He's, because he's discouraging our troops. We have soldiers who are fighting tooth and nail. And he's telling us to leave, to give up. He says, this man doesn't know what he's talking about. So we have this scene, and I want to set up this picture. We have Jeremiah Speaking on behalf of the Lord, we have the officials and we have King Zedekiah. Now, what I want to suggest today is that you and I, if we were to put ourselves in this story, we are in the place of the king. You're like, sweet, I'm a king. Come on, somebody. But what I mean by that is this. All of us are given each and every day a choice. We have a choice that says, will I follow the way that everyone else is going, the way that seems practical, the way that seems logical, or will I follow the word of the Lord? And when we really break it down, what I want us to say, and what I'm really asking is this, especially for those of us that would claim to be followers of Jesus, will I follow the truth even when it hurts? Or would I rather just listen to a lie that sounds good or maybe even makes me feel good? Now, as we break down this story, perhaps you're saying, Harrison, my life is more nuanced than this. 
I don't simply just have to decide to go or to stay. Like, life is way more complicated. Uh, I want to suggest today life actually is not more complicated. The Bible is very clear that before each man, before each woman lies a path. And we have the path to life and the path to death. And so each and every one of us, truly, there are micro decisions that we must make. But ultimately, everything that we do either leads to death or to life. And what Jesus is clear is that his way always leads to life. Even if we don't see it right away, even if we don't immediately understand it, his way inevitably and eventually and always will lead to life. Here's the alternative. If I decide to go my own way, which I am free, I can do that. I can have whatever worldview I want. But the alternative is always death. And it sounds like Harrison sounds kind of harsh, maybe, but it's the reality. And sometimes the truth hurts. So the king is presented both decisions. Do I follow the voice of God or do I follow the people in my crew? He decides to follow the crew. Verse five, it says, hey, he's in your hands. King Zedekiah answered, the king can do nothing to oppose you. So they took Jeremiah, put him into a cistern. And I don't have the rest of the verse, but uh, as we read before, uh, it was empty. There's no water. Uh, It's kind of like a well, and it was just full of mud. And so Jeremiah begins to sink down into the mud, which really would be a slow um, but eventual death. And uh, just a side note, as I said, uh, because there's different people in this story, but sometimes we are in the position where we are called to speak truth. And to speak truth isn't always the most popular thing. And sometimes you might get thrown into the mud. Come on, somebody. So what we have here is the story, as I said, again, where the king decides to listen to the officials. And what I want to say, because I think for a lot of us, Uh, when it comes to following God, when it comes to the two paths that are presented before us, one of the reasons that we have a difficult time trusting God or going forward, especially when it seems illogical, is because we many times think that we have the perfect picture of truth, right? Like Harrison, like I live in the age of the internet. I have Wikipedia. I have all the facts. Like I know, like I know what's right. I know what's best. But what I want to suggest this morning, because the officials paint us a picture that is true for each and every one of us, no matter who we are, all of us have a limited perspective on truth. You and I, we have a limited perspective on truth. What do I mean by that? Super simple. We are finite. God is infinite. Is everyone following? God is infinite, you are finite. What that means is this. If you don't believe in God, totally fine. Just stay with me for a moment. But if you do believe in God, God by definition is infinite. And we are not. What that means is this. God does not exist in time and space. You and I, we exist in time and space. That's why like, when it's dark outside, I'm a little bit tired. Because like, I exist in time and space. God is not affected by the change of the seasons. He's not affected by the temperature. He is internal and his perspective, therefore, is greater than ours. So for as much as I could ever know, as much as I can fill my head with knowledge, with facts, with opinions, my perspective on truth is limited. What I mean by, what I mean by that is simply this. I will never be able to fully comprehend truth. I was listening to something this week and I thought it was so interesting. This is what he said. He said, some of the worst people in the history of the world have been some of the smartest people. 
you can, you can go back through time and look at any dictator, any crazy person. They weren't dumb. And so a lot of times in our minds, we automatically equate knowledge with truth. But that's not always true. I love what Proverbs 21 says. It says, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. You and I know very few people that do things and they really, really believe what they're doing is stupid. Now, the Bible has a word for those people. They're called fools. <laughs> those that know what they're doing is stupid, yet they do it anyways. Biblically, you're a fool. Love you. Welcome to church today. But for the most part, especially when we talk about the path of life or death, for the most part, whatever path we are walking, we are doing it because we believe it is what is best. Even if we're wrong, even if we're totally off track, you can look at the people in your life that you think are totally lost. I can pretty much guarantee you that they are doing what they think is correct and they're doing what they think is right. But the issue, and this is where we come in with this biblical perspective, is that we have a limited perspective when it comes to truth. You see, what we learned in the last couple of weeks is that we are created in the image of God. And because we are created in his image, you and I have great capacity. We have capacity to learn, to understand, and to discern. But we can never miss that for as great and as much as we can know, we are still limited by our humanness. God is not. He exists in a whole different plane. I had a friend uh, recently, and we were talking, and he said something I thought was interesting. He said, Harrison, you know, when it comes to the things that God wants me to do, he said, I do all the things that God wants me to do that makes sense for me. But if they don't make sense, I don't do it. Now, the essence of what he was saying, he didn't realize it, <laughs> was I don't really follow God, I follow me. And sometimes our paths collide. Like, you believe that, God? Me too. I'm a Christian. But the truth is, just because our paths collide at times, it doesn't mean we're actually following Jesus. And the truth is, and where I really want to go with this, and I know it to be true, unfortunately, is that there are so many people that would claim to follow Jesus, but when it comes to following his way, when it gets to that point where it begins to hurt a little bit, because it doesn't make sense to my finite picture, we kind of just go our own way. You see, what I want to suggest today as I said, is that there are two paths. The path to life, the path to death. And I think the path to life, it doesn't always make sense, but I truly do believe it is the most logical way. It's just a matter of us getting there. Now, if you're asking yourself, Harrison, like where do I understand God's way? How do I know like his truth, especially if I'm limited? Well, we as believers, uh, we believe that the Bible is the word of God. Now, we do not believe that God wrote the Bible, but we believe that God, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, inspired people from a whole bunch of different backgrounds, cultures, times, and places to write letters that are now compiled into what we call our Bible. And we actually, as believers, especially here at Kingdom Church, believe that the Bible is the word of God. Kind of crazy. And so because it is his word, it actually gives us a picture into the minds of the infinite. And so it gives us a perspective that is different than our own. Now, one of the critiques 
that you will hear, because for most people, they probably understand, yeah, Christians believe in the Bible. But one of the critiques you will hear is that like, well, yeah, the Bible says some stuff and it's been around for a long time, best-selling book of all time, come on, somebody. But it's old. Like, it's old, pastor. Like, we can't take what's in there seriously because we live in 2023. And like, we just, we know so much more. Um, C.S. Lewis he has a term that I think is apt for today. Uh, he calls it chronological snobbery. And what chronolo- chronological snobbery is, it's this idea that anything that is old is therefore wrong, bad, unintelligent, right? If it's old, you throw it away. C.S. Lewis calls it chronological snobbery um, because the idea is like there are some things that are old and we just throw it out. Like, if you guys went to the doctor this week, I highly doubt you were smoking in the waiting room. But we used to do that, right? And so sometimes it's true, like things that are old, we, we move it away, we, we, we move forward. But as a whole, the idea that something is old, therefore invalid, is not actually a true argument. Because there are things that are transcendent that do not change, even outside of the Bible, but we believe the Bible is transcendent. And so what this means is this, especially as, again, we tie all of our messages together, is that if God is creator and we are his creation, what that means is that you and I are finely tuned for the universe in which God created. What that means is that I can do whatever I want, right? We understand that I can do whatever I want, but just because I can do whatever I want, it does not mean that it's what's best for me. And one of the beautiful things I think about scripture is that it gives us a picture into the heart of God. Because at the end of the day, the Bible is not a set list of morality and rules. If you're, if you're going to the Bible saying, Harrison, like, what do I do with this? How do I make this decision? What does God say about this, this, this? That's not really the actual proper way to read the word. The word, what is actually is giving us a picture into God's heart. And as we understand God's heart, we do see times where he shows us pictures of what is best for us. But the Bible in and of itself is not a rule book. So it's not gonna be neatly laid out for you, especially if you're saying to yourself, like, what do I do about X, Y, Z? Nevertheless, we are God's creation. And so we are fine-tuned to live in the world in which he created. Meaning his way, here's the big point, his way, whether I agree with it or not, will be what is best for me if it is truly his way. And if it is true, truth must actually be true. So I'll give you guys a small example. Um, I'm sure there's many that we could give, but uh, I was on, I think it was Facebook uh, during Christmas break or after Christmas. And uh, just, you know, the algorithm of Facebook. Now, usually the algorithms of the devil. Um, But this time, the algorithm threw up a video uh, that I watched. And as soon as I watched it, I was telling some people, I'm going to share this during Total Truth. Um, But it was interesting. It was was a a video of a podcast, and it was two girls on a podcast. Um, And the podcast started, and the girl just shares a stat that she read. And the stat said this. It said said couples that cohabitate before they get married are 80% more likely to divorce than those who don't live together before they're married. And she read the quote. Uh, to the other girl on the podcast and they were both losing their mind. They were like, what? Like, there's no way this could be true. This can't be true. 
Because like for them, and then they started going through conventional wisdom. They were like, I always just thought like you had to find out how they brush their teeth, how they fold their clothes, like what they look like in the morning. Like there's no way that we could ever be in a healthy relationship if we didn't live together before, like their minds were blown, absolutely blown. Now, I I don't know what statistics she was reading, but um, the statistics I have read double down on what it says. Couples that cohabitate together before they get married are way more likely to divorce than those who don't cohabitate before they get married. Now, listen for a moment. Just because you don't live together doesn't mean you're in a healthy relationship. Be clear. It's like, well, pastor, we didn't live together. There's a whole lot more. It's just, it's a, it's a low-hanging fruit I'm hitting right here. But I thought it was so funny because the other girl in the podcast, she pipes up. This is what she said. She says, you know what? She's like, I haven't told you guys. I never told anyone, but like my husband and I, we didn't live together before we got married. And like, we were just too embarrassed to say anything. But she's like, now I feel a bit better because the stats are on my side. But I just thought the clip was so funny and it was so ironic because it was a picture of human wisdom. Because everything that they saw in their side of view was like, this is what makes sense. This is the best way to thrive in a relationship. Now, if you understand, one of the things about the Bible is the Bible does give us some guidelines and I call them guardrails when it comes to our sexuality. And one of the guardrails that the Bible gives us when it comes to our sexuality is that it is designed specifically for the context of marriage between a man and a woman. That is the guardrails that God has given us for sexuality. And this isn't a relationship sermon, so I don't have time to really dig into it fully. But every guardrail, every boundary that God gives us is never to restrict us, but it is always to lead us to life and to life abundant. And so when we talk about this idea that couples who cohabitate together before they get married end up divorcing at a higher rate, and even more than this, which they're wasn't a statistic about couples that live together then just break up, is that when it comes to how God has fine-tuned our sexuality, you and I were created with a purpose and a design when it comes to our sex. Shuality. (laughs) It's one person for life. And so what that means, and anyone that's experienced this will tell you whether it's through a divorce um, or through uh, a sexual relationship that has ended, is that it is extremely painful. And the reason it's painful is because you and I were actually never designed for those relationships to end. We don't have things, God didn't create something inside of us to to biologically help us separate from something. In fact, science lets us know everything hormonally, biologically helps us to attach and deepen. And so it's very painful. And that's why Jesus says, what is brought together, let no one separate. Now, Again, I know for a lot of us in this room, we've, we've been through the, the pain of, of separation. I'm not trying to bring a commentary on that. What I'm simply trying to show us is that sometimes wisdom says one thing is best for us. But what God says, even though it's completely different, actually leads to life. Now, as I said, God's heart in everything is never to hurt us, but to heal us and to keep us from experiencing pain that we would not want to experience. You see, Genesis chapter three, when we talked about creation, fall, redemption, the very first temptation that Eve had, it came back to one simple idea. The serpent says to Eve, did God really say that? The temptation that you and I always face is this idea of does God really want what's best for me? Is his way really the best way? 
Dallas Willard, he says it like this. He says, the basic idea of temptation is that God is presented as depriving us by his commands of what is good. All temptation is this. God is holding something back. So we think we must take matters into our own hands and act contrary to what he said. It's a lack of trust. You see, in this series, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to give us an all-encompassing view of God. And I think at the end of the day, it is logical and it does make sense to follow God, but there are moments that each and every one of us must come to where it's simply this, am I going to follow my way and what I think is best, or am I going to follow his way? Now, as I said, when it comes to an all-encompassing worldview, I really just hit on relationships and sexuality. That was like five minutes. Like, don't have sex isn't, <laughs> that's not a worldview. Um, so save it if you got questions or Maybe we'll do some relationship stuff in the future, if you guys want or if you care. But the point of what I'm trying to say is that God wants what is best for us. He has an all-encompassing view for us. But we're limited. We're limited. But I think one of the cool things is that 1 Corinthians chapter 2 lets us know we don't have to be limited fully. Can I share something? This is what he says. This is Paul. He says, the person without the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolish and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. So I gotta pause for a second. If you're trying, like if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus and there's certain things you're trying to get like someone that doesn't believe in Jesus to make sense for them, Paul's saying, listen, it might not work because there are certain things that like you actually need the Holy Spirit to discern for you and he's discerning it for you, so it's not going to make sense for everyone. Does that make sense? He says, he continues, the person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So here's the cool thing, because I talked about us and our, and our perspective being limited. It is. However, with the Holy Spirit, and Jesus living inside of you, your, your perspective is actually enhanced. It's, it's large. It's, it's grown. We have the Holy Spirit, and he, can, and he can and he will begin to do a work in our mind. And so we do not have to go through the world simply saying, trust and obey. There is no other way. Because we have the mind of Christ. And so as we begin to discern things, he will begin to give us a picture to help us understand why he has what he has for us and why and the direction in which he's leading us. And so I want us to understand something. We do not have to be in the dark. My, part of my hope in this series, if you have not found Jesus, is to bring people to Jesus. But my true hope is for those of us that have been following Jesus and we have zero intellectual understanding for why we follow him, I want to release us. I want to unleash us. And I want you to dial and lean into the power of the Holy Spirit because he wants to give us the mind of Christ. How sweet is that? I can discern things on a different level. If you guys didn't know this, I'm kind of a young pastor. But one of the reasons that I've never been intimidated to go into certain places and certain rooms is because I believe with the power of the Holy Spirit, it's not just me. My mind isn't the mind. 
of a carnal man, but a man that is living in the spirit and I'm able to discern and see things that some people simply can't see. And that's not unique to me. That's all followers of Jesus. We can walk into our workplace, our schools. We can, go, not chats online. It's not gonna go well for you there, but like any place and realize God has given us a different way of looking at the world. Now, as we close up this series, I want us to understand something. Number one, another appeal. I have said it a lot, but the book that a lot of this stuff, not really today, but um, the past three weeks were based on is a book called Total Truth by Nancy Piercy. I encourage you, pick it up, read it. It's a great book. Um, but one of the things that can happen, um, and this has happened to a few of the Nancy Piercy homies that I know, is uh, there's something about truth. Truth is really good, but truth has this way of kind of puffing us up. Because like the more I know, like listen, when I read some of this stuff and I begin to view the world, I can't help but looking at people and realizing like you are so stupid. <laughs> That's just my heart. I'm just being honest with you guys. I see some people posting some things that are Christians and I'm like, you're not a Christian, you're a Marxist. Anyways, <laughs> read the book. <laughs> and so truth, listen to this, has this way, like truth is really good. But if we only have truth, we're in big trouble. And so Jesus, I want us to understand this. John chapter one, he says, the word, speaking about God, became flesh. Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father. Look at this, full of grace and truth. Need us to see this, full of grace and truth. It's not 70% truth. 30% grace, it's not 80% grace, 20% truth. It's 100% grace, 100% truth. He was full of grace and truth. So here's the point. Jesus is grace and truth personified. And so as much as I understand truth and as much as truth helps and as much as truth sets free, I can never lose grace. I'm going to show an illustration and I'm going to get my lovely assistants to come bring the television. But we live in a cultural moment right now that I think tells us that we have to choose a side. You have to be, either be on the side of grace or you have to be on the side of truth. There's no in between. But what I love about... <laughs> ignore my assistants. What I love about Jesus, come on, can we actually give him a round of applause? So what I love about Jesus is that he's full of grace, full of truth. What that means is that we don't have to choose a side. Our job is to figure out how do we exist, personifying both grace and truth. And so I have um, a diagram, and uh, I, I took this from a guy named Rich Philotus, and I've actually shared this before. So if you're a part of our church, you might have seen this before. But I think it's one of the most helpful diagrams I've ever seen. Um, just explaining, like, for us as believers, how do we live? How do I live full of grace and full of truth? Because what happens, and especially as you begin to understand yourself, you will know that you lean a certain way. You're a truth person or you're a grace person. The grace person, usually like super nice, feely, full of emotions. The truth person, logical, 
practical, don't take no nonsense. Our job is to find ourselves in the spectrum of what God calls grace and truth. So what I want to do is I kind of want to dissect this a little bit and show us how oftentimes we find ourselves on the wrong side of the spectrum. So again, where we want to exist, high grace, high truth, because that is actually what love is. You need to understand this. Love is grace and truth. There is no such thing as love without grace and truth. So I'll get back to this, but I kind of want to work our way around this to show us where we often find ourselves. So number one, and I think if we're going to be honest, this is many times where people, followers of Jesus, find themselves. High truth, low grace. And so what happens if you have high truth and low grace, you will often come across as condemning. It's condemnation. Right? And so the high truth is pretty simple. Like, God says what he says. Don't toe the line. Don't mess around. You're right or you're wrong. You're going to hell. It is what it is. But I'm telling you in the truth, I love you. <laughs> so I think a really good illustration for this that, that I thought, and it was helpful for me, um, there's certain, and if you look at our political spectrum right now, this is a generalization, but I would say generally speaking, the right would lean probably towards high truth and the left would lean towards what we call low truth. And what I say by that, one of the things that we said in this series is like, truth is subjective, do whatever you want. What's right for you is right for you, right? I'd call that low truth. Right side, high truth. Now, this is just the political sphere, not even Christianity, um, but there's a few right-wing political commentators. You guys have probably heard of Dr. Jordan Peterson before. Um, maybe guys like Ben Shapiro. Um, and for me, a truth guy, I love those homies. Um, but one of them, they have a saying, and it's this. Facts don't care about your feelings. You guys ever heard that before? Facts don't care about your feelings. If it's true, it's true. And if you listen to these guys debate, they will tear people to shreds. And I remember at one time, like, I was listening, you know, facts don't care about your feelings. And for someone that's truth-orientated, I'm like, yeah, if it's true, it's true. And I remember the Holy Spirit speaking to me. He was like, facts don't care about feelings, but I do. But I do. And I just, like, ever get slapped in the face? <laughs> and so what happens, if we're in high truth and we don't care about anything else, you will always come across as condemning. Now, I want to kind of go across the spectrum here, and this is where I think a lot of times, um, especially in, our, in this cultural moment, this is where we end up, which is high grace, low truth. And a lot of times, the reason we end up here, I think, is that our hearts are in the right place. I really think, and as I said, Proverbs again, right? Man does what he thinks is best. When it comes to this idea of high grace, low truth, there's this idea that like the most loving thing I can do is just accept and leave people as they are. Whatever their thing is, right? Whether it's an addiction, whether it's a viewpoint on life, whatever it is, the most loving thing I can do is just leave them. I'm gonna accept them, I'm gonna have high grace for them. But what I wanna suggest is that if you have high grace and low truth, you will always end up just enabling people. You need to understand this. If there is something that God has called us not to do, whatever it may be, it is only because he wants us to experience life and life abundant. 
I want us to understand this. Anything, any moral thing, whatever it is, the lens in which you need to view it through is how and why and where will this eventually lead me to life and life abundant? That is the heart of God. And so what happens if we are high on grace, low on truth, we will always end up enabling. And we think we are helping, but the truth is we are just leading people down a path that will eventually and inevitably hurt them. And that is the framework we need to have to understand. Like, this isn't, I'm not trying to crush people. I'm not trying to condemn people because I need to be full of grace. And to be full of grace is to understand the human condition. What's the human condition? We are broken. We fall short. But all of us have done things before that we thought were right and inevitably were wrong. All of us are foolish. All of us are dumb. That's why we have grace. Because all of us do the wrong thing at times. But the reason we don't stick on this low truth is because we don't want to enable people. The last one, and this is one that I think, um, to be honest, is one that's becoming more and more popular, which would be low truth, low grace. Now, low truth, low grace essentially is this. You do whatever you want. I don't have an opinion. It's not like, it's not my thing. But what's right for you is right for you, and what's right for me is right for me. And like, it's essentially like, do whatever you please. Now, it sounds really loving. Like, I would never tell you what to do. I don't even care. But the truth is, if I have no truth and no grace, because to have grace means I care for people. I love people. You will always come across as passive. And I can tell you, as a father who has kids, and I'm trying to raise them, Like, to have low grace and low truth, essentially, like, the illustration that's coming to my mind um, was, like, sometimes, like, my son Judah, I talked to him a couple weeks ago with Google and stuff, but um, sometimes he sits on the edge of the bed, and, like, he has, like, no spatial awareness, whatever. Like, teetering on the edge between falling backwards on his head. Can you imagine? And, like, he's having fun, though. He's reading the Bernstein Bears. Like, he's having fun. but would it truly be any form of semblance of love if I just watched him as he fell off the cliff? No, that's called passivity. And if I do a relationship series, which I might, I'll talk about the grave sin that men have, which is the sin of passivity, which God has called us to be active, but instead we're passive. And it is not loving to let our kids, it is not loving to let our friends or people that we love do whatever the heck they want. It's low grace, low truth, passivity. Now, where God wants us to exist and where I'm hoping we can take us in this series is high grace and high truth. You see, the only way we can get to truth, understand this, is through his word. Like Harrison, I want to love. Okay, get into the word. You will not know what love is outside of his word. How do I get to grace? Only through the Holy Spirit. That's it. I must ask Jesus Come fill my heart. God, help me to see things the way that these people are seeing things. Help me to feel what they are feeling. Help me to understand where is the brokenness? Where is the connection point? Because only when I actually care about people as much as I care about truth will I be able to love them. I need us to hear this. If I care about truth more than about people, I'll never be able to actually love them. 
But this is where God has called us to be. And as I look at Jesus, the Bible says over and over again, when he was on earth, he was surrounded by the downtrodden, by the hopeless, by the sinner. But he was full of grace, but he was also full of truth. And he was able to personify this way in which he was able to toe the line perfectly. But here's the thing I want us to understand, especially for the truth. If you can't get to the grace, Harrison, how do I get to the grace? Understand this. None of us would be where we are without the grace of God. I give grace because I got grace. I give because Jesus first gave to me. So I've kind of abandoned the story. You can get rid of this guy for a little bit. Thank you. I kind of abandoned Jeremiah's story, but I want to go back to it for a second. Because the beautiful thing about Jesus is that he always gives us another chance, right? In that moment, if we're talking with the king, he was probably more like in the passive, right? It's not in my hands. You guys do whatever you want to do. But Jesus and God, gracious to give us another chance. And so I want to speak to someone. If you feel like, man, I've ran out of chances, like I've, I've been just, I've gone the wrong way. Guess what? God's full of grace. And there's a new invitation every single day to enter into it. And so what happens, I'm skipping through the story for the sake of time, but King Zedekiah, he gets Jeremiah out of the mud, saves his life. And then they have this conversation, so interesting. King Zedekiah said to Jeremiah, he said, I'm afraid of the Jews who have gone over to the Babylonians for the Babylonians may hand me over to them and they will mistreat me. So basically what he's saying, he's saying, listen, the reason I didn't listen to you, I was scared. I was scared of the people. I was scared of what would happen to me. Jeremiah says, they will not hand you over. Look at this. Obey the Lord by doing what I tell you. Then it will go well for you and your life will be spared. So he goes the totally opposite direction. He does really hands Jeremiah over to his death sentence. But God in his grace gives him another chance. He says, obey the Lord and it will go well for you. So I want to just encourage someone today. If you feel like you've gone the opposite direction, if you feel like you have no direction, it's okay. You are not too far gone to come back home. He says, obey the Lord and it'll go well for you. Now I wish this story had a happy ending, uh, but it doesn't. And I don't even have the texts, but... <laughs> How this story goes, I'll tell you the funny thing about Jeremiah 38. The story kind of just ends. And then the last sentence of verse 38, it said, this is how Jerusalem was overtaken. So you know it doesn't go well after that because um, Zedekiah doesn't obey. Um, and you can read what happens to him, kind of graphic. Anyways, here's the point. God is full of grace, but he's also full of truth. And so for as many times and as, as great as his mercy and his love is at some point, every single one of us must come to the place of decision that says, I'm gonna either stand and walk into the light or I'm gonna go my own way. I hope it's a good sermon because I'm quoting Dallas Willard twice. But this is what he says. He says, the idea that you can trust Christ and not intend to obey him is an illusion generated by the prevalence of an unbelieving Christian culture. In fact, you cannot no more trust Jesus and not intend to obey him, then you can trust your doctor and your auto mechanic and intend to follow their advice. 
if you don't intend to follow their advice, you simply don't trust them. Period. So listen, listen, listen. If you're here today and you don't fully know if you trust Jesus yet, that's okay. That's okay. But if you're here and you're saying, Harrison, I'm convinced that God sent his son to die for me. I want him to be Lord of my life. Then the option is one and one only. It's to say, Jesus, I'm gonna get rid of everything. I'm gonna lay down my way. I'm gonna take up my cross. And I'm gonna follow you. You see, there's a story in John chapter three. There's a guy named Nicodemus and he's having a conversation with Jesus in the night because he's afraid. He's afraid of what people are gonna think of him. If anyone sees him and he says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to experience the kingdom? And Jesus says pretty simply, John chapter three, he says, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And so I wanna make an appeal. Can we stand for a second church? Maybe the reason that you haven't been able to fully see the picture that you wanna see is because you have an unwillingness to be born again. And what does it mean to be born again? It means to just say, hey, you know what? I may have been going one way for a long time, but I wanna do something different. Nicodemus asks a question. He said, can I go back into my mom? Like, how, how am I born again? Like, I can't be reborn. Like, good question, Nicodemus. It's simply just leaning back into the Father, into God, and saying, I don't wanna be born from down here. I don't want my worldview. I don't want that to be affected by what I see down here, but I want it to be transformed by you. And I just happen to believe, and it's the reason I come up here each and every week, that a life with Jesus is the best life. It is what you are missing. It is what you've been looking for. And so I wanna give an invitation today, every head bowed, every eye closed. It's a simple invitation to say, I wanna be born again. I wanna get rid of my way and I wanna walk in his way. So if that's you today, every head bowed, every eye closed, this is between you and the Lord. I want you to raise your hand. Just right now, just show me your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Can we pray this prayer together? Just repeat after me. Just say, Jesus, I give you everything. I give you my wins and I give you my sins. God, you are the creator and I'm creation. Thank you for loving me and for redeeming me. I give you everything in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, can we clap our hands? Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. We hope it blessed you and that you were encouraged by it. If you made a decision today to follow Jesus or want more information about our church, head over to kingdomchurch.ca. We would love to get in contact with you. Until next time, take care.